so fire. So fire. Kurt Russell's hair is so impossibly well coiffed for anybody outside of a Hollywood movie and star. And he has kind of a mullet, but it's like perfect. It looks like the ideal hair. He looks, in my opinion, so fucking ridiculous. So- also, but very good looking in this. I mean, he's just getting he's extremely good looking. Yeah, man. he's incredibly good looking. And he's got... Uh, and he's always running into a fire with his jacket unbuttoned, not wearing his breathing apparatus. <laughs> and he's got a John Wayne voice consistently. Yeah, you know, yeah, like I yeah. know he's done John Wayne impressions in other, in other movies. I can't remember which one he did. No, I don't that know. In, but uh, yeah. he has done John... But he sounds like John Wayne often. Um, and he looks great, but his hair... And Billy Baldwin's looks make the movie so unbelievable at times where you're just kind of like, Jesus Christ, these guys are fucking (laughs) fighting fires in Chicago. If these guys walked into any Hollywood office, they would have offers on the table. Like, haven't they ever been in like a firefighter catalog and like it happened to get into the hands of some agent? Like, Like, you know, I don't think I I can't. There aren't movie stars now, in my opinion, who are. As like perfectly quaffed no, and beautiful as him, at the very least, like Ryan Gosling when he does a movie has short hair. Right, right. There's like his hair <laughs> he is doesn't really... have like eight inch perfect hair. Yes, you know? exactly. Like, Both yeah. of them have like perfect. Like you, can't, it's it's very hard to have hair that long <laughs> and keep it looking that good. And by the way, I think that's a fire hazard. <laughs> like, right, like fucking Kurt hair. Russell's running into a fire with. Flammable <laughs> hair gel all it's over like his head, all down to his shoulders, yeah. you know. And, and Billy Baldwin's like got some greasy pomade in there to slick it back, and they're like running into flames, like straight into a fireball every day of you their know, lives. You know, like there was a conversation after like the first day of shooting when like one of their hair heads caught fire, where they were like. What are we actually using for hair product, guys? <laughs> yeah, right. It turns out it's flammable. It seems really bad. <laughs> also, um, I did love that you said flammable. That's amazing. Like A plus. Flammable? Fla- fla- it's flannable. Like you could make it into flan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, hair gel is yeah, flame flammable. Flammable. Yeah. It's, oh, flammable. It, what I said, flammable. He said flammable. Yeah. I'm a little drunk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know you finished your beer a while ago. Yeah. organized confusion over over uh, three four hundred degrees in temperature and then you just got these guys that are running into this building everybody else is running out and these lunatics are running in is there a real chicago fireman's outfit i see on you it's in the blood willie when i heard that both mccaffrey brothers were being assigned here at this station together my heart was filled with a, a sudden desire to transfer. 
damn you! Let's just have one drill, Lieutenant. Now, one for the company and one for me. You have a bad day here, somebody dies. Check that door for heat. It's a like movie about accident. fire. It's a movie about like sibling rivalry. It's a movie about like learning to be a man. And then it's like a mystery about an alderman and a series of arsons. <laughs> like, like why does it? And that's the whole second hour of the movie is this. It becomes this like Bobby De Niro. And then there's like Donald Sutherland is fire Hannibal Lecter all of a sudden. And Oh, can we talk about that scene already? Or should we, should we go backwards? We should, we should go backwards. Should we maybe. introduce the show? Do you want to introduce do the show? Should yeah, we do that? We've never done this in person, I don't think, so we know. Who it. knows how this happens? Uh, welcome to 30 Years Later. I am your host, Ricky Kimler, with uh, co-host, Chris Chafin. This is the show where we talk about a movie that came out 30 years ago this week. I'm having a bit of a game show tone in my voice <laughs> right know, now. I, I feel like that happens. Like I hate it, it yeah. so much. Uh, this week, um, the week of, uh, I believe it's actually last week from 30 years ago, because it came out the same right. week as Thelma and Louise. Which We're week? just cheating a little this week, because why? We didn't feel like covering Something else that well, came out I this week? And I think it was because we talked about Backdraft so much last week because right. it had this relationship with Thelma and Louise. It seemed interesting to, to watch and then talk about Backdraft. Right, the relationship being that um, Backdraft was kind of the other big movie that was going into studio production around the same time as, uh, as Thelma and Louise, even though it had double the budget. More than that, actually, because I think the budget for Thelma was 17 and the budget for Backdraft ended up being like 40 or $45 million. I mean, right. And... Uh, it, it was losing the Thelma and Louise was having trouble casting people because a lot of them were auditioning or holding out for parts in, in backdraft. William Baldwin was actually supposed to play the Brad Pitt character, but he dropped out of the movie a few days before like shooting. He hadn't signed his contract or something. Yeah. So he pieced out on Thelma and Louise, which is like an amazing, I mean, I know it's the business Hollywood. It's a business obviously, but it is like an amazingly dickish thing to do. Like, I mean, it was literally like very, very shortly before production. Well, it's dickish, but I think, uh, honestly it makes sense, right? I mean, he's, he's the star of this movie. He's, he's the a star huge part in this movie. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. leaving, he's leaving a, what feels like a small bit part right. for, um, uh, but, and the thing is that he didn't also didn't need a small bit part at the time. He'd already had a lead in um, Flatliners or a co-lead in Flatliners. Right, yeah. And he's like a successful male model and he's a Baldwin. So the idea of becoming a leading man versus playing right. this small part makes perfect makes per sense. Yeah, and it makes it's also Ron Howard versus Ridley Scott. And it's like a huge blockbuster movie. I mean, Backdraft, it was like the big blockbuster for, you know, at least this part of the year. Ron, I mean, yeah, you, you're already, Backdraft was the kind of movie where they, on top of the movie, they're also pitching what the Universal Studios tour is going to yeah, look right, like. exactly. They, they had everything built into that. What they were going to put in Planet Hollywood, like, you know, they're going to put the fire jackets gets, in Planet Hollywood. It gets to be on like, all these Burger King cups, you know, like... What was what was Kurt Russell's character's name? Axel? <laughs> was his name Axel? I think Scott Glenn's character's name was Axel. So we thought it would be uh, appropriate to talk about Backdraft coming off of Thelma and Louise because they were competitors. Backdraft ended up uh, not being. I don't. I don't know if Backdraft ended up being the number one movie that weekend, or did Hudson Hawk? I think had it to was. The, I think it was the number one movie this weekend. It, yeah. it made seventy-seven million dollars in total. I know. I don't know if Thelma and Louise out earned it for the year or not. No, I mean Backdraft made one hundred and fifty-three million. Oh, okay. Not according maybe, to my Wikipedia. Wait, may, you might be right. Maybe it was box office. I have one hundred and fifty-two, but that's that's domestic and foreign. 
Yeah, what were the top 10 movies in 1991? Silence of the Lambs, Raise the Red Lantern? What? Is that that was the number 2 movie of 1991? Terminator 2, okay, JFK, Beauty and the Beast, Nine on Earth, Bart- Barton Whoa. Fink, number 7. There's an anniversary uh, edition with 43 minutes of deleted scenes. 43 minutes? <laughs> Which anniversary? The 20th anniversary? 43 I'm actually kind of curious to see that 43 minutes of deleted scenes. Like what the fuck else? I mean, that's cool. That cuz that that indicates there's like a whole plot line that's cut out of the movie yeah. basically, right? Which plot line do you think it is? I mean, maybe it's something that's not in the movie at all. I don't know. You know, like the backstory. Maybe there's maybe story of him and the friend. Maybe there's more friends. Maybe there's more friends stuff. Friend. Because the friend does have kind of a weirdly big part, and he's supposed to be so emotional that his friend has died. Yeah. But like, who really cares? Or the stuff with Russell and his wife, maybe. But I felt like I got plenty of that stuff. Yeah, my one of my uh, favorite parts of the movie is that there's a okay to set it up so. <laughs> Fuck, I'm losing this. One of my favorite parts of the movie is a scene where Kurt Russell uh, is putting new roof tiles on his roof that he doesn't live in anymore because his wife has kicked him out. And she comes out on the roof because she didn't know he was expecting him there. And he says, I'm sorry about what happened the other night. And what he's referring to is a scene in the movie where there was a party for the firemen. He saw her dancing with a guy and he walked over and punched the guy in the face, which sounds crazy. But this is what's crazier. Following that scene, there has been a training montage where <laughs> Billy Baldwin, Kurt Russell's younger brother, has been training to be a better firefighter in his brother's eyes. A long training montage set to a Bruce Hornsby song. <laughs> Following Which, that, like, the lyrics have, like, it's very, very weird. I have nothing to do with what's going on. Right? Now, within that training montage, it's not just training footage. Multiple fires footage. <laughs> Footage of multiple different fires that the the firemen have gone to from this company, this house, and as well as training footage. Following that, there's been a fire that doesn't go well. This is outside after the montage where Billy Baldwin is made to look like a fool in front of his brother again. He quits the firefighters. He finds his ex-girlfriend from from like high school, Jennifer Jason Lee, who works for the Alderman. She gets him a job working for a fire inspector, right. played by Robert De Niro. Did all, all of, this happen, really? All of these things <laughs> happened. And then there's a scene where Kurt Russell goes, I'm sorry about what happened the other night. The other night. So you're telling me... <laughs> It's been like three months, it's basically. Been, according to the movie, it's been three days. <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot has happened in the movie. Well, he's just the kind of taciturn masculine type where the other day is anywhere from two days ago to five years ago. You know, like. And she just gets that. She's like, huh, all right, yeah, all mm-hmm. right. Because it could like, be, because honestly, he does something so shitty every other day that it could be anything. She's like, which, the, the thing at the grocery store? Oh, no, it doesn't matter. No, at the bar. <laughs> Oh, at the bar. Oh, okay. Wow. Wait, right. are we talking about the thing? Oh, it doesn't matter. With the, at it's school? Fine. You mean at, at, at school? No, no, no. I'm not sorry for that. So uh, briefly, the plot of the movie is that uh, Kurt Russell uh, and his younger brother, Billy Baldwin, are firefighters, and they don't get along as firefighters. They have a longstanding competition and rivalry and uh, combativeness with each other. Uh, meanwhile, there's um, a, a guy who leads the firehouse, played by Scott Glenn, 
who was uh, worked with their father when he was a firefighter. And um, at the top of the movie, we get this very, very uh, Marvel movie oh back my God, type yeah. backstory. Everybody has like crazy sideburns and mustaches. And it's like, you know, the fire plugs are going and there's like doo-wop on the radio. Where... Um, Kurt Russell and Billy Baldwin's father, who's played by Kurt Russell, and is very just uncredited, by the way. So it's like blink and you miss it. An extremely unnecessary bit of casting and confusing, frankly. Yes. <laughs> where they do a moment later on where they they inter- they reintroduce Kurt Russell as the brother, and it's supposed to be a oh wow moment, and you're kind of like, but why did it? Wh- oh wow, why what? Why did you, why you just cast somebody else? We would have gotten who? You're the like, guy wait, was. is that the same guy? I don't understand. So he takes his son to a fire because apparently that's what fucking firemen it seemed do. Extremely irresponsible. They they are working firemen. The fire alarm goes off. They all get on the truck to go fight a fire, a potentially deadly situation. And he's like, yeah, hop on the back, kid. Come on, watch your old man at work. Right. So you he know. takes the kid. The kid goes to the fire. It's a really dangerous fire. Is just said it explodes kurt russell number one the dad dies in the fire and his helmet shoots out of the house and lands right in front of his child (laughs) on the ground a real schlocky hollywood movie moment he picks up he picks up the helmet and there's like a photographer right there right in his face taking pictures of him which uh then that goes on they say it's like a pulitzer prize winning photo or something like that. back up Yes, there's the life photographer there. But then the life photographer walks away and suddenly there's nobody else around this <laughs> child who's standing underneath a burning, a burning. building. There's fire, there's fiery debris all around him. And he's just standing there. And there's already been a firefighter to come over and be like, I'm sorry about your dad. And, but they don't move and they him don't move the kid. They just leave the kid. It makes no fucking sense. Right from the beginning, it makes no sense that he would bring his child. Yeah. It makes no sense that his helmet would just suddenly fall right in front of the kid. It makes no sense that they would let the kid stand underneath the burning burning building both before and, and after, after his fucking father died. Right? And then it makes no sense that the life photographer... I mean, I guess life photographer, sure. It's like a war photographer. It's like a s- you'll, you'll take a picture of like a, a emaciated child with a Glock next to their face before right. you step in to help, even if you have money to help. <laughs> so like maybe that's kind of the but, case right but, here. But you think after taking the photos, he'd turn to the firefighters and be like, should we you know, get the kid out of here? Should we... Do you want to... Oh, no? Okay, fine. Uh, I'll take more we, pictures. Okay, we, should we help him or... Uh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 of course. Right. But I will say this movie, like... Speaking of the life photographer being the only other person there for this kind of, like, random house fire in Chicago, this movie posits an extremely high level of media interest in fires. <laughs> where there's... <laughs> always photographers there there's always tv crews there there's like there's an at one point we see a framed article on the wall that's like you know i'm actually thinking of mayor of east town no that's something different i mean it's a thing but it's it's like that it's like everybody's famous for being a firefighter you know what i mean that's a thing in movies specifically in the 90s and i think even now but now the way that they do it is that it's like a blogger or a podcaster shows up and like fuck stuff up for everybody but like in the 90s it would just be like someone from the local newspaper who would show up right like the local tv news is there like constantly because that's how you generate conflict between the characters right did you see this they got it wrong again they made you the hero like oh they don't know what's going on and it's also like they can do a little bit of narration and exposition you know like 
here we are at the fire at 25th Street. It's raging out of control. And you're like, okay, so it's at 25th Street. Well, it's at least, raging but, out you of control. know, Backdraft didn't have any like flashing headlines or newspaper zoom ins, <laughs> really. Spinning headlines yeah, or anything like that. Spinning headlines. I mean, it might have been a better movie for they it. They do literally, though, pick up the newspaper and like show it, like it's like a static shot of it to the camera. And then they all discuss what the newspaper wrote for like a kind of a, a very while. long time. Yeah. Um, and then, so then, you know, f- f- cut to uh, the future. Or the present, and Billy Baldwin has now just graduated from the fire department where no one thought he ever would because he's kind of like a roused about sort of boy. He's who, tried a lot of different things. Yeah. He's had a lot of different careers. And uh, he ends up being in the same firehouse as his brother, Kurt Russell. They do not get along. Wait, can I interrupt here again yes. with another aside? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, okay, so in this movie, again, it's, okay, it posits a lot of media interest in fires. It also posits this whole thing I have literally never seen before or after in my life which is this ceremony where firefighters figure out what firehouse they're assigned to. And this movie takes this, like, it doesn't do oh. any exposition of setting this up at all. Yeah, it's, it looks like a group of drama club kids yes! looking for their, like... It's it, exactly like that. They're like, what firehouse are you going to get? Yeah, it's really... <laughs> and one of them is even holding the paper, I think. That's like, And they're all checking you it, get? you know? He's like, I got number nine. And they're like, like, woo! And, yeah. and they're like, aren't you even going to check the paper? And he's like, what's it say? Number nine. Like, how'd you know? How'd you know? And he's like, I got a guy on the inside. And I was like, I, I kind of admired the like bit of world building that this is, that this movie does no explanation of this and just wants you immediately to be on board with this like fireman sorting hat thing that's going on. Maybe <laughs> that exists. I don't know. I have do no you idea. know anything about fires? I have no idea. I mean, did you know that like whenever to in encourage uh rampant alcoholism and drinking amongst the firemen they post the house that you're listed in at a bar yeah right (laughs) so everybody can go and get completely plastered and yell at each other about what firehouse they're in so baldwin ends up in the same firehouse as his brother there's lots of competition and fighting um and also hazing and some mistakes early on but then through a series of movie incidents uh because it's a movie uh, Billy Baldwin quits. He ends up working for Robert De Niro, who's a fire inspector, and they're all trying to figure out who is starting these uh, backdraft fires, which is basically means that like if you open a door, it explodes. Like the fire has been kind of raging inside, but like you know, it needs air to to, to catch, and right. the air doesn't catch until like the door opens. That's it. I don't know. Uh, it's like kind of it. That's kind <laughs> of it. If you want to get into the science behind it, I don't know. it's a fucking Ron Howard movie. Uh, and, uh, Some kind of putty was involved. I think they yeah, keep saying in the like movie. There's like a bunch of stuff like, about the kind like of putty that electrical they use. outlets, right? Yeah, and they're like, you would never know this was an arson, you know. And um, it all turns out that it turns out somebody in the firehouse was setting the fires. Because they were trying to get back at like an alderman who was closing down firehouses, <laughs> and then that's and then you know it all turns into like a a corruption scandal and two brothers who learn to love each other again, uh, complete with Kurt Russell as he's dying saying to his brother as he fights a fire, "That's that's my brother," <laughs> and I oh I God. I mean I was triggered by that because I remember very clearly the men in my childhood quoting that scene in that movie so much because really that kind of sentimental uh machismo Mm -hmm. resonated so heavily with them you know like it's so unsubtle Mm -hmm. it's so sentimental and it's so a very particular kind of machismo right 
which I think now is like the dominant kind of machismo, but was not at the time. Macho? No, no, no. I I don't think that's true. I think if you had that in a Marvel movie right now, it'd be it would it would be like an undercut with some sort of beta joke. They would be brother superheroes of some kind, and they would look almost alike, right? And like the guy would say, like, "That's my brother down there," but whoever he said it to would be like. Yeah, no, like, yeah, I couldn't tell. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, you know, like, oh, or you're telling would, me, like, we couldn't tell just by looking. It would be something like that. He would go, like, that's my brother down there. Good looking guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, did you see, I saw a clip from Black Widow recently where they were, like, oh driving a fast car. And, <laughs> oh, interesting. And interesting. Uh, the who, who's the girl from Midsummer that everybody's in love with right now? Oh, that is, God, like, I forget her name. So but I know clearly going to say or do something bad on social media <laughs> at some point. And like reveal, tr- like reveal her 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 actual humanity, just which will make everybody like, upset. Fine. You know, um, fine. The girl from Midsummer is in a car with Scarlett Johansson, and they're driving the car fast backwards. And uh, she goes, "I thought you said this thing goes fast." <laughs> nice, Florence Pl- Pugh. Flor- Florence Pugh. But that's like a typical Marvel joke, right? right? right I thought right, you said right. this thing goes fast. I mean, we're like in the Star Wars movie where they're like, they fly now? Yeah. They fly now. I would so much rather watch some Billy Friedkin bullshit (laughs) where they're in a car chase and they're going the wrong way down the highway and the guy in the backseat is crying because he thinks he's going to (laughs) die. Yes, me too. A hundred percent. It's so much more honest, you know? Yes. Do not give me these fucking... Poorly wise cracking superheroes. And I think I can't it's handle it. I think that's funnier too to have somebody like breaking yes. down, like thinking they're gonna die while the action person is doing the action stuff, you know? I mean that's like, you know, Chris Tucker in the fifth element, right? Like, you know. It works. I think it works. Oh right, isn't he a nice he's like, Yeah But ah! then he's like, Corbin, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Right. So another thing about Thelma and Louise and Backdraft, right? Hans Zimmer did the score for both of them. Is that true? That's that funny. is true. Hans Zimmer was a. This was him reaching the point of being a big deal. He had just been doing Ridley Scott's movies. He. I don't think he'd done Tony Scott yet. True Romance might be his first Tony Scott movie. Mm. Uh, but you can you can hear how I- in- incredible his his scores are and how influential they are at this time. Um, I do think that uh, the score for Thelma and Louise is better than oh, the score yeah. for Backdraft. But I would say Backdraft's a pretty standard Hollywood movie blockbuster Well, it's like a Ron Howard, like, big yeah. movie, big blockbuster score. I would say in Thelma and Louise, and I was making fun of this on the episode last week, but, like, the the score I think takes a backseat to like the sinks, like the like it's lots of songs. Like Thelma and Louise is almost like wall to wall songs, you know, like it's all these different weird blues rock songs. Billy Baldwin is laughably hot in every scene of this movie. I mean, he is an unbelievably unbelievable looking man. It's he can't play a leading man that you believe in <laughs> because he's too good looking. He's too. too good looking. He needs to walk on screen and like steal the girlfriend and challenge the main character to like a, a, a ski match or something. <laughs> exactly. You know, like that's kind of the the vibe that he gives. He's like too good looking, too, too preppy looking, too long Island, too Hamptonsy. Mm-hmm. Like he extremely Hamptonsy. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. He in no way exudes anything other than like, I will walk into the bar <laughs> And fuck everybody. 
and maybe sell coke too <laughs> like that's it i it's it's so and i mean in a way like right he's better suited for the part in thelma and louise right he's like a scumbag who's gonna seduce you and then steal your duffel bag full of money like whereas brad pitt was apparently not initially suited for the role but it's what makes him better in the role right because his take on it was so different than everyone else's take right because he's doing this kind of yokel thing i mean i will say like billy Baldwin is just i do see what you're saying but like he's just not my type Something like I think his face is too long. It weirds me out. It sets. But off... you have a long face. Well, maybe that's why. You know, maybe I don't. Maybe it's like some kind of thing. Like I'm seeing in the funhouse mirror of cinema a reflection of myself I don't like. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But like I think you his... think you look like <coughs> Billy Baldwin. Look, you fucking brought it up, Ricky. Don't <laughs> don't try to trap me in with your fucking mind games. Okay, you're the one who proposed <laughs> you, the similarity you... between me and Billy Baldwin. You have trouble not recognizing that Billy Tr- Billy Baldwin's an attractive man because you feel like you look similar? No, that's not at all what I and said. And you know you're not attractive. Absolute so that's piece of garbage. kind of hard for you. <laughs> I did say... You I d- look at Billy Baldwin and you're like, well, I know I'm not attractive, so there's no Wait. way he could be attractive. I mean, it just makes common sense, Ricky. Yeah. Like, you know. Because movies are just so bad now, at the yeah. risk of sounding cliche, but like Hollywood I movies... Know. Studio movies are just almost entirely non-human stories. They just don't feel like human stories whatsoever. I I have even had a nostalgia for Ron Howard's movies, who, with the exception of Parenthood, I have kind of always said, mocked as like a hack. Right, right? sure, yeah. And uh, I don't know what movies I've, I've I've considered or even thought about that weren't hacky, but for some reason I had just started saying like Ron Howard, he he was he was a good filmmaker. But a couple months ago I watched Hillbilly Elegy, which is a oh. Ron Howard film. <laughs> oh no, Hill- I haven't seen that on purpose. Like <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy is uh, genu- like genuinely one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. It's a <laughs> But I will mm. say, going back and watching Backdraft, which, having not seen, was a movie that I held up mm. in esteem of some kind. Oh, as really? Like, as like a because I could only remember what I had seen of it as a right, child. Right, right, right. As like a well-made Hollywood blockbuster about people, and in a way, it kind of is. It kind of is. But I, mean, I have something. But rewatching it as an adult, it's not. <laughs> it is the blueprint for a superhero movie. And there is an element while I was watching, I kept thinking about how one of the major criticisms of Quentin Tarantino is often that he has no humanity and that he's just sort of writing movies. Mm. Like he's rewriting movies that he's already seen and putting characters from previous movies I mean, and movies. That's that what I love seen. about Quentin Tarantino. But I will say, I would argue that Ron Howard knows even less about humans and that his movies are even more a direct take or rip off of what he thinks movies have to be versus who human beings actually are. Well, I totally agree with you. And I think it's like, look that up. said, well, can I just say, said, can I just, yes, but let me finish God, that. That said the weird duality there is that more people respond to and love the phony sentimentalism and lowbrow hackery of Ron ha- Ron Howard's filmmaking and characters than they do 
someone like Quentin Tarantino or subtle, mm-hmm. human, honest filmmaking. I mean, that's because majority always responds to mediocrity over excellence, but still. Yeah, I mean, it's like mawkishness, I think, is a good yes, word for Yes, that's a Ron very Howard, good word for it, yeah. Right? I mean, what I was going to say is I always just think about people as people, and like Ron Howard has been famous since he was like 13 years old. Right. So, like, what could he know what about he, people? Exactly. What could he possibly know about the way real people live their lives? He right. has no clue. He has been rich and famous since he was a young teenager, and all of his friends have been rich and famous since that time. So, like, what is he drawing on for this? All you can draw on is movies you've yes. seen that you think affected you personally and you want to try to replicate that in some way and the movies that affected him personally are most likely considering he grew up in the business are going to be most likely like other successful movies right right? and he grew up in the 60s and 70s so so these are movies from the 50s the 40s the 60s you're just regurgitating the myth right right? you're not you're not adding to you're not deconstructing you're just regurgitating the popular myth that has already been created whereas to use this person as a... There's no reason outside of this to to compare Quentin Tarantino to Ron Howard. <laughs> outside of the way Quentin Tarantino has been criticized... Um, Directors in the 90s, I mean, you know. Sure, but at the very least, with Quentin Tar- with a Quentin Tarantino movie, you're getting, one, a deconstruction of the myth consistently, depending on which genre he's working in, and two, you're getting an extremely personal interaction with movies that is like not right. based off of like oh I also loved um, Gone B- with the Wind Gone with the Wind <laughs> and and the great films of Billy Wilder I don't know you know like where Quentin Tarantino's like I like CC and Company right. and like fucking weird horror movies and biker gang movies and I'm gonna try to put the and right. kung fu movies no one's ever heard of I'm gonna try to expose you to this stuff it's very it's actually very personal whereas Ron Howard is simply like calculating what an audience may or may not respond to. Right. Quentin Tarantino, I have always thought, is a lot more like, you know, it's like, this is so, I mean, I feel so, like, cliched saying stuff like this, but it's like a, you know, like like a hip-hop producer. I mean, this is why he gets along with people like RZA, because it's like, he's saying, like, yeah, I love, like, obscure soul music, and I took it and made it into this song that's really popular. But, like, you should definitely, like, go investigate, like, all these crazy soul artists I'm sampling on this song, and, like, you've probably never heard of a lot of them. And if you have heard of them, like, great, like, let's talk about how cool they are. You know, like, that's him, but with kung fu movies and, you know, exploitation movies and that kind of thing. Because he was a person who wasn't, like you know, having managed time on set for (laughs) recreation from the time he was 13. He's just like a dude that used to watch weird movies because something respond, you know, they, they spoke to something in him, which is like everybody, lots of people who like love movies like you or me, right? Versus a guy who used to be in pitch meetings at a very young age who knows what audiences, what the market producers want, what producers want, what the market's going to respond to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at his, (laughs) I just wanted to read you this little slice of his uh, IMDb. This is from 2006 to 2010. His this is dir- Ron Howard? Ron Howard, his director credits. Ugh. The Da Vinci Code, Frost Nixon, Angels and Demons, Heidi Montag says no to plastic. <laughs> Heidi Montag says no to plastic? What's that? That's a video short. It's a video short. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's for some charity or something. I'm clicking on it right now. Is Heidi Montag like a Hills person? I think she's from the Hills, yeah. Yeah, she's the one that was with Spencer Pratt for a long... Yeah, and Spencer Pratt is also in this, of course. 
Get me, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I don't want, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I wanted to talk too about, you're talking about how this is like the way this movie is structured. And I thought it was very interesting because, okay, so, and we were talking a little bit ago about how successful was this movie. And so I, I did find the uh, box office for 1990. So it was the number 11 movie of the year. It made $77 million just behind Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, which made just like $1 million more. Dances with Wolves, like way more successful than this, even though that came out the year before. I'm... But it probably came out at the end of the year. Right, exactly. Oscar so, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, Actually, that's not true. It came out around Thanksgiving. Remember? Right. Well, so it's apparently, according to Box Office Mojo, it was the number six movie of 1991. Wow, that movie must have made so much money. $121 million. I know, we, I know we said it on the podcast, but can you imagine an audience oh of God. that many going to see a movie that long ab- about the American West? And about like one man's journey to connect with Native Americans? Like, no way. Where like mean, a substantial part of the movie is in like Sioux, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, and by the way, Thelma and Louise for 1991 was number 25 with 45 million. Just underneath the Rocketeer. <laughs> And actually, just above Point Break, interestingly enough, it beat Point Break. Yeah, Point Break wasn't a success. Yeah, Point Break only made $43 million. It's pretty good. Number 26. Um, But so what I was going to say is, like, what I thought was really interesting watching this movie is it... uh, And it's really interesting that you said it was, like, the template for a superhero movie, which I didn't really pick up on, but I think you're totally right. But it was, like, what I got out of watching it was... It was almost the formula for a 90s blockbuster, and it certainly had the look of a 90s blockbuster. Oh, yes. A movie like Twister or even like, not Independence Day, but maybe a little bit Independence Day, but like Armageddon or Deep Impact, more Deep Impact. This kind of thing where, but those movies are at their core about like more or less normal people responding to extraordinary situations. Like, that was sort of, like, the template for a blockbuster in the 90s was, like, a regular guy who all of a sudden is in the middle of a crazy situation and has to respond to it. But you're right. This movie, it's almost like a superhero movie. Like, they are, they have special firefighting powers, yes. right? And they're dealing with backstory, like, emotional weight, like, weighted backstory. Right, right, right. So it's, like, anticipating something that hasn't come yet, and it's almost like a 90s blockbuster. It's got the visual look of a 90s blockbuster, yeah. but it doesn't quite get there. And I think that's why it, it's, you know, it's the number 11 movie of the year. It's not the number one or two or three movie of the year. But it's that opening scene that feels mm-hmm. particularly superhero-ish, right? It feels right. like... The backstory, the, the, it feel, the, the origin story. The, yes, it feels like that brief moment that's you're, you're seeing at the beginning of Iron Man or any of the movies where it's like, oh, this is why this character matters. This is why this right. character has weight, right? And what's I would say what's really interesting about that is, so this is the Billy Baldwin character, and the whole conflict is supposed to be, he's on the cover of Time Magazine, he gets all this media coverage, but he doesn't he doesn't really want to be a firefighter, and he's not really out there doing it, like his brother, who's just like a bullhead, you know, running into fires all the time. He's like a pretty boy, he's too, he's too, his, he's got, he thinks too much of himself, but like really he doesn't, you know what I mean? But what I thought was interesting was like, I felt like in almost every situation Billy Baldwin was in, he was doing the wrong thing. Like the entire movie, like almost like literally until the end of the movie, I thought everything he did was wrong and he was genuinely being a selfish shithead 
Or an idiot. Or an idiot. Or like a like coward. A like many times we see him in a fire situation and he like chickens out and doesn't go into the fire. Well, to add to that, I will say there's that whole training montage. Right. Right. And then prior to the training montage, when he goes into the first burning building that he goes into, he apparently buckles his jacket wrong. And so right. my question is, didn't he just graduate from the academy? What did they teach him? And this is supposedly the second time he went to the fire academy, and he doesn't even know how to buckle his jacket. And then <laughs> right. he's got to go through this whole training montage. I don't understand. Didn't he train at the academy? Doesn't he know how to be a firefighter at all? Like, didn't he already do all this stuff? Yeah. yeah. This what movie seems do? to think it's like G.I. Jane, right? Like what do the, you do at the fire training academy? <laughs> Apparently just fucking hang out, you yeah. know? Like, not you just, very much. Is it just like you know, books. Well, Ricky, this is the thing, right? Is you learn one thing at the Academy, but you learn another thing on the street from your big right, brother. This is as Donald Trump once said, you know, it's not the kind of thing you learn from the books. It's the <laughs> thing you learn from the streets. Exactly. Another one of the many brilliant things that man said that you just can't cite because of the source, you know, like 2024. Um, but I thought that was really interesting how it's it's almost like one of the iconic 90s blockbusters, but it doesn't quite get there. Like even a movie like Twister, which I think it isn't it isn't quite in the canon right now, but it like kind of is. I would say this is like sub Twister. Like I would say Twister's in the canon. I don't think Backdraft is in the canon. No, yeah, I don't think back. That's what I'm saying. I don't think yeah. Backdraft is in the canon. But I think Twister is like. If you were a current day 20 year old, like how many times have you seen Twister? Like maybe once. You Do you know? know why Backdraft isn't in the canon? And it's not, and we should talk about this in a minute. It's not because the fire scenes aren't great. The fire scenes the are fire great. The fire scenes are phenomenal and possibly still the best ever filmed. It's because it takes its drama too seriously, but the drama is too corny. And that doesn't stand the test of him. Twister does not take its drama seriously. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and I think also this whole, what we were talking about before, about how there's this whole second hour that's like a mystery plot that just like doesn't work. And who cares? Yeah. Who cares about corruption with the alderman? Like, do you even know what an alderman is if you don't live in Chicago? <laughs> do you know what I mean? They could just be fighting fires. I mean, it was it's very dramatic and interesting. And by the way, this movie is over two hours. So you could like cut half an hour out of it and yeah. still have a feature length film you know but they're very dedicated to uh peeling back the layers of a city but it really just looks like makes it look like chicago complete with the final shot of the movie which is just like a suddenly the camera pans up from a fire truck to show the uh skyline of chicago with like a, a vanilla fire sky behind it and it just leaves you with this sense of like is chicago always on fire <laughs> Like, is there, is there always a whole, is this just the city, like a city of the gods that is just rife with fire and burning? Like what's happening in Chicago? At the end of the movie I did, I said to Catherine when I said like, oh, everybody seems to care a lot about fire in Chicago. And she went, well, you know, it plays a big part in the history of that city. <laughs> She's like, so maybe they all are like, you know, extra interested in fire. Well, I will say this. I will say this. Not to, you know, be contrary to Catherine, but fire plays a big part in every city. Every city in the world, Because in the 70s, 
all of these flimsy buildings that were built in the turn of the century and in the 50s. I mean, Ricky, for like the last just 500 years, uh, we were we went to some city called Stavanger in Norway that's like in the very southern part of Norway, and they have a big cannon on a big hill, and I was like, oh, this is cool. It's like for raiders. And it was like, no, they shot the cannon when the city was on fire, and they had to shoot it all the time because the city was always on fire. I was born in Holyoke, Massachusetts, which was literally the paper capital of the country. <laughs> Guess what happened to all those mills? They, the paper caught fire, and they all burned it down. happens a lot. Guess what happened to Bushwick, Brooklyn, right next to where we are right now? Uh, it was a bunch of breweries. They caught fire. Yeah, this city, Stavanger, it has the world's uh, largest collection of still existing, like, early modern wooden buildings, which aren't that many, because in every other city on Earth, they burnt down. You brought up the Donald Sutherland uh, part, and I think that we should talk about that, because that is another moment in the movie that, uh, for my money, makes no fucking sense. So... Uh, Billy Baldwin has left the fire company, the firehouse that he's been at, and he's gone to work as a fire inspector with Robert De Niro, who's a no bullshit fire inspector. He's very Robert De Niro like. Uh, he's got a wise, a kind of uh, a subtle wise crack for everybody that he has to deal with, and also on top of that, he is quintessential early '90s Robert De Niro. He's pretty fucking cool. He's cool as shit. He's so cool. Um, and he's great. He's got a great sense of timing, both dramatic, comic. He's Robert fucking De Niro. And uh, his character has this thing where it's like uh, he kind of wants to fuck fire, but he's like also wants to kill it. You know, right? he's got an extremely cliche monologue where he's like, in order to stop the fire, you got to love it. He's like, to f- know where the fire goes, you got to think like a fire. <laughs> you got to love the fire. It's, it's really bad. not with it's a- science. But because it's a living thing. Yeah, it's a really dumb monologue, and it it's it's a, a good microcosm for a lot of the movie, which is like, it's pretty cliche. And Robert De Niro is Robert De Niro. He's doing everything he can with this monologue, and it's still pretty bad. It's yeah, still pretty bad. Um, but they go to visit Donald Sutherland, who is a like psychopath that loves fire that Robert De Niro helped put away years ago. And Donald Sutherland is up for parole, and he's so clearly a disturbed psychopath. I mean, <laughs> Sutherland is basically twirling the mustache while he talks <laughs> yes. about a fire that he set years ago. And, and he, the parole board, he, who is seated and lit, by the way, like the judges from Flashdance. Like. Yes, that's true. <laughs> they like uh, before before we even meet the parole board. He's talking to De Niro, and De Niro's like, "Remember this fire that you set? Remember that fire?" And uh, Donaldson's like, yes, I do remember the fire. (laughs) (laughs) It was so bright. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. But it is one of my favorite performances in the movie. It's Uh, great. It's great. And I think especially this scene and then the immediately following scene where he's actually at the parole board. So he's at the parole board, right? And De Niro and Billy Baldwin are, are, Billy B, are watching the parole hearing. And the parole board asks Donald Sutherland, they say, well, your court-appointed uh, psychologist says that you've made tremendous progress. You've been a model citizen inside the penitentiary. We just have one question. If you are readmitted to society, will you commit crimes again? And he says, oh, no, absolutely not. 
And then Robert De Niro stands up and he walks over in front of Donald Sutherland and he holds out a burnt doll. And he goes, you remember this? You remember this? Where did this come from? And Donald Sutherland says where it came from and he goes, what do you want to do with the rest of with the entire world? And Donald Sutherland goes, watch, his, watch it burn. <laughs> now, I've given you essentially the actual dialogue from the scene that I somehow I mean, am able close. to remember almost verbatim. But the gist of the scene is the parole board goes, will you commit crimes again? (laughs) He says no. And then Robert De Niro stands up and says, ah, but will you set fires? And he's like, he's "Mm." like, oh, you got me. I will. I will. It's fires. No, I will set fires. I love it. I love fires. Yeah. Robert De Niro goes, uh, and what do you do with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with little old ladies? (laughs) Burn them. Right. So like... (laughs) On the parole board, the therapist apparently, the court appointed. He's lied to the therapist. He's lying to the parole board, like very capably. Oh, and like, Robert uh, De Niro is just like, uh, "What do you, what fire? do you like to do with little girls?" And he's like, "Set him on fire." Right. So, like, imagine if you were at a parole hearing of a child molester, and the parole board was like, "Are you going to commit crimes again?" And he was like, "No." And then the cops stood up and went. Children and he was like, molest them. I love to molest them. <laughs> molest I can't them. stop molesting them. And the parole board was like, oh, that's how this is oh, done. Interesting. Okay, okay. I mean, it is interesting though too because it's it's part of this fucking litany, <laughs> this like extremely conservative litany of like. I mean, my example is always Ghostbusters or the bad guys, the EPA, where it's like, oh, the parole board lets these monsters back onto the street with this like extremely insane portrayal of how the parole process works. And, like, I don't know, maybe parole worked like this in 1990, but I somehow doubt it, you know? And I'm like, I, why, why, would, why did Backdraft feel like it had to go out of, the, out of its way to, like, g- take a swipe at parole, the parole board well, that process? The, but that's, like, it's coming out of the 80s, and that was, like, the dominant 80s philosophy regarding, in, in regards to crime, right? It was, like, lock Willie them up. Horton. We, Willie Horton, Willie Horton. We've let like. these guys out for too long. Yeah. No, they, I love fires. <laughs> oh, my God, they're so pretty. I love them. I love them. <laughs> I'm all burn everybody. But this is interesting, and this is one of the things about the movie uh, is like, and I said this at the top of the show, it makes fire look so sexy and cool. The fires look great. Everybody f- is in love with fire. Like, even the firemen, they fucking love the fire. They love to be in the building that's on fire. You know, and there's so many great shots of fire, like, retreating into the walls yeah. of a building, which, like, maybe that's, like, crawling reverse across, photography or something. Like, but, crawling across ceilings. Yeah, crawling across ceilings, crawling, like, billowing across the floor like a carpet in this really weird way where it's like very close to the ground. Uh, it's fantastic. I've I never agree. seen another movie that has such amazing fire stuff. The fire, the the pyrotechnics and the stunt work in the movie, like oh we're God. railing on the movie and making fun of it. But in actuality, if the stunt work and the fire is amazing. As a technical worth, achievement, it's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. absolutely worth watching for that reason. And honestly... The story and everything we're making fun of, it's not that it's bad. It's fine. competently it's made. Fine, so, know. like, if you want to, you're not going to be offended by anything if you're watching for the fires. And the fires are fucking amazing. And well, there is a lot of fire, like, right yes. from the beginning. You know, it gives you what you promise, what it promises. Like, there's lots of explosions and fire and, like, stuff I've never seen a fire do on film or in real life or anything, you know? It's very cool to see, like, like there's, yeah, because that's one of the things that these backdraft fires they're fighting is like 
they kind of like suck back into it's like a wave the way like the water sucks back and then crashes really hard like that's the way so many of the fires behave and it's like terrifying and really interesting <laughs> to watch every big fire scene in the movie takes place in some sort of nondescript oh yeah largely open floor plan space that allows the firefighters to stand very far away from the fire <laughs> yes. and like look at it and plan some kind of insane like garment factory or something yeah. that's like one of the big sequences is a huge garment factory which is like is that a reference to like the garment factory fires <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so i don't think so but then it's like a garment factory or some sort of like industrial plant like it's it's consistently in like these large enough warehouses to sort of pull the firemen far enough away or give enough space to shoot. It clear it feels like a very obvious technical idea that they didn't really build into the story that well. Yeah, right. Like it like it had to be shot this way to to make this the stunt work. It had to be shot this way because all of the backdraft fires that the film is most is supposed to be concerned with which is right. the fires that are being the set, titular backdraft fires right, right that are being set by a firefighter to get back at corrupt politicians are being set at people's homes because they're meant to kill right. certain politicians they're like f- assassin fires <laughs> but the biggest fire scenes kind of take place just randomly they're just random fires well this is the thing too like that's weird i didn't even think about that while i was watching i just thought about this (laughs) isn't that strange that like the 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 most important fires for the plot of the movie are just kind of like these brief flashes they just are over in one second right yeah because that's the supposed to be the thing of it is like that's how you know it's a firefighter that sets them is because they're fires, but they're designed to burn themselves out immediately. Right. Right. Okay. So it's like they just happen and they're De Niro over. Nero probably says that, right? No, I think it's Donald Sutherland. He's like, he's like, whoever, whoever did this, they know a lot about fire, but they don't love it. You know. <laughs> I love it. That's from a scene I don't, don't like. From don't like... tell, don't tell the parole board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad little boy. <laughs> Like in in real like I, and, and look, firefighters are heroes. Okay, like firefighters are of course heroes. Like I, I would never say something other than that they're the world's greatest heroes. Although I will say today, I I was riding my bike in Manhattan and I saw a fire truck with a red Lives Matter flag. Nice, nice which... as hell. <laughs> <laughs> nice as hell. <laughs> Is, is that them? Are they the firefighters? Red lives? And, and I had, I had, I mean, it was like a standard blue lives matter flag, but instead of a blue line right, through the black line. and white, it was a red, red, red line. Which and, is confusing because the flag is already red and white. And so, so like, and so my thought was like, okay, I have two questions about this. My first question is one, are you, is this to mock cops? Like, is this a firehouse that has a contentious relationship with cops? And it's like, uh, like let's let's like show show these guys how because dumb they look. I will look. say I've literally never seen that before. A red lives matter. Or thing. two, like, why do you firefighters feel like anybody? Why do you feel defensive? Like, do you have a dog in this fight? Like, yeah. No, what is you your know? dog in the fight against poli- for police brutality? I think it's just one of those cases where it's like there's there a are key brothers. Ch- no, I think it's just like oh, the cops have all this merch. Like, we should have merch. 
I think that's I think that's it. <laughs> you think like the, the 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 fire truck is like the opener that like saw saw the headliners yes. like merch and was like we should do that too. Or I like whatever company in China is making all the Blue Lives Matter stuff is like. Also, there are firefighters. We should make f- f- firefighter stuff, you know? But firefighters notoriously have, like, a, a playful attitude, a sarcasm that, like, cops don't have, right? Right, right. And, and I so, mean, I will say, like, well, one thing I thought watching this movie is, like, there is no, like, AFAB mov- movement. Like, nobody is out there trying to defund the fire department. Like, they've generally skated through this moment unscathed. You know, rightfully so. Firefighters do one thing. Well, it was interesting. I had this thought too, watching the film, where I was like, because normally a movie like this is about cops, right? Or it's their superheroes fighting criminals, and they're because they're using their powers and they're all this hatred and fascination on some kind, like a drug dealer, you know. And I'm like, or like a psycho serial killer or something, right, where they're like, like, you know, you got to think like him, right? But I'm like. Yeah, I kind of like drugs though. So like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not in favor of them arresting this drug dealer. But in this, it'd be funny this... to watch a cop movie where they're like, you got to think like the addict, and it's like, <laughs> what, like get high? <laughs> yes, obviously. You got to think. But watching this movie, I was like, um, uh, so I, I had an instinctive, like, I wanted to be reacting against the, the, you know, authority figures, but I was like. But I'm not pro fire. I mean, it's it's. I'm okay with fighting fires. This is the one like militaristic organization that I am okay with them doing their job. Firefighters. What is militaristic about firefighters? They carry water. Well, they like have uniforms. They have their own special buildings. You know, they get their all this equipment no. from the government. No. I mean, it's militaristic. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm 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 fighting this. Uh, much like a fireman with a fire. I I think a fire department is an actual civil service that is provided that is a very specific civil service and so therefore is inherently good. There's nothing militaristic or fascistic about it. Whereas the police department has, was not initially founded to fight fires. It was initially founded to round up slaves and bring them back to their masters, Right. And then it became this this thing that fought, you know, quote unquote crime. How you define crime was how you d- observed poor behaving right, right, or society's right. undesirables behaving and how you denied social services to them. And then eventually cops became, as we eliminated social services, they became a form of punitive social services, right? So cops in that regard are militaristically fascistic because they are reinforcing a status quo on uh, uh, an impoverished class, an undesirable class, whereas firefighters are just fighting accidents. Well, I mean, you can They're make literally the argument. just firing. It's not like the fire needs to exist. It's not like the well, Ricky, the fire's a living thing according to this movie. Right. So, like, what? But you know what I mean. Like, the fire is it's it's, it's bad. Well, this it's no, an this accident. The, it's a cigarette that's going is, out. You know, this is the point that I was making. Was what I was saying it was like that has the trappings of one of these militaristic. Fest- fascistic organizations but if you step back for one second you're like 
oh no, it is. It's a civil service. It's a public good. It's like, it's okay. But normally when I see a bunch of macho guys in uniform, like yelling at each other about fighting something, it's like, I'm like, oh, this is bad. I don't like this. But in this one case, this is the one case where you're like, oh, actually, no, this is good. Agree. I also think what you're, agree. I also think what you're reacting to is the inherent fascism within Hollywood narrative. Right. Right. Where it's like, it has to be this one way because we assume this is the knee jerk reaction an audience will have. Well, if you are focusing on, and if you are, uh, if you are focusing on and you are prohibited by knee jerk reactions, you are going to be inherently fascistic, right? Because fascism is idiotic it's and it's knee-jerk. like uh dealing in cliches and yes. stereotypes right because you you by definition don't want to think too deeply about the thing you're demonizing it's just like oh yeah that's bad everything is bad because of that like get rid of it so you if know? you're telling the story of a group uh specifically like a group of men but if, of a group and you're abiding by these narrative traditions they the, it is inherently fascistic whether it's about firefighters whether it's about a fucking baseball team whether it's about right. a you know, a group of college students, a group of high school students, if you are abiding by these narrative standards of uh, there is an outsider, he needs to find a way in, he needs to prove himself, eventually he does prove himself, and he becomes one of them, you are applying a, a, a fascistic story, te- fascistic storytelling devices. That's just how they work. Because they are also built on what sells, and capitalism itself is fascistic. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I will say this is one of the things I found really confusing. I am a version. I am the version of that SNL sketch over the weekend that was like, "Do you don't read? Do you read the theory?" I, 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 and he's I, like, I, "I listen to podcasts." <laughs> <laughs> I am the podcast. One thing I thought was really uh, like I was thinking while I was watching the movie was so like you're saying like the um, they're in the firehouse they're like razzing each other and they're hazing each other and all kinds of stuff. Throughout my life, I have had such a negative reaction to this kind of like dudes together hazing each other and like making fun of each other because I'm like so sensitive and insecure that like like there's a big scene where the um the guy who's the head of the firehouse what's 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 the actor's name Ricky Scott Glenn Scott Glenn where Scott Glenn is like toasting Billy Baldwin and the other new recruit but he's like making fun of them right. And you can see Billy Baldwin kind of being like, oh, am I like not part of the group? Am I getting made fun of? And then he's eventually like, oh, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm part of the group. I never get over that hump. <laughs> like when these when there's a bunch of guys together and they're all razzing me like this, I'm just like, all right, well, fuck you. I don't want to do this anymore. Same. I'm not, I, have no, I have no interest at I, that point. I just cannot function with, when that is happening. And I really wish I could. I think my life, I think it's been materially harmful to my life to be this way. I retract my statement, actually. I will say that I get. I will get past that phase of the hazing. Well, now I will as an no, adult. But when a, I was even like as a 20, teenager, you know, even as a I teenager, I would get past no, that. I, I couldn't when I was a teenager. Then I would quit. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that was... That was what I did freshman year of high school. I was I was in all the I played three sports. I got hazed and by all three different athletic teams, mostly the same guys all the way through. But each department they would haze you again. I got through all of that. Finished the seasons. And the next season, everybody wanted me to play again. I just said no. <laughs> you got through it, made everybody like you, and then you were like, "Fuck you." Yeah. <laughs> and then in college, like I made friends with like a, I would make friends with pe- a group, and then I would like hang out with them and be like, "No." 
and I would, <laughs> and I would go somewhere else. I just wish that I, I, as an adult, I see the value in it, and I see that like it's affectionate. But as a kid, I was just so I don't know, so insecure. I mean, like that I just couldn't handle it. I reacted to it very negatively. I just always felt like. Oh, these these people are the people that see what a piece of shit I am, and I don't want to be around them anymore. You know, like I don't need to put up with this. Like I'll do something where people like me. You know, like yeah, see, I'm I, the king of the trivia team. Like those people like me. Like I always felt that they they finally saw me after I got through that, and then I was like, oh shit, now I don't have anything to prove anymore. I'm just <laughs> and I'm just and I'm just me. God oh, that sounds it. awful. Oh no, you just have to be yourself around a group of people. You know what we haven't talked about yet. Before we get to the question, what is that? What is it? We have not talked about Kurt Russell. Both Kurt Russell and Billy Baldwin, the two leads, are just not very believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both beautiful to look at. And uh, well, I will say one of the least believable things about the two of them is that they're supposed to be brothers. It's <laughs> yeah. just like Billy they could Baldwin's not like, look more ethnically diverse, the two of them. Yeah, you know? Bill, Billy Baldwin's like a solid two feet taller than <laughs> Kurt Russell. Billy Baldwin has jet black hair and is like extremely swarthy. And Kurt Russell is like, looks like he just, just walked out of like Hamburg, Germany, you know? <laughs> There's a sense of. You know, in the in the era that we live in now and in the last 10 years, with the exception of superhero movies, there it does feel like there's an effort to limit the movie star-ishness of leads right. yeah. in movies. And in Backdraft, what's interesting about it is that it, there is no intention of limiting their movie star qualities whatsoever, even though they're playing blue-collar firemen right, yeah. in Chicago. Well, the thing people say about movies now is it's like it's we're in the era of like IP, not of movie stars. And this is like very, very firmly in the era of movie stars. And so like n- the most but important... the only star is Kurt Russell. I like Billy Baldwin. Like you're saying, he he's kind of star. famous. He was he, kind of famous. Kind of, kind of. This was his going to be This was going to be... This is his like Will Smith in, 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 in yeah. Independence Day, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. This is supposed to make him into a huge star. Which I guess I mean I don't know it was a, a successful movie but I don't think he became a huge star after he this didn't movie. no he did yeah. Sliver afterwards with Sharon Stone uh, and then he didn't really do much else and I will say another thing about Billy Baldwin in this movie is like every once in a while he'll say a certain word and he sounds exactly like Alec Baldwin like exactly a hundred percent like Alec Baldwin in a way that was like distracting and weird to me yeah they sound exactly alike yeah they sound exact especially like every once in a while I w- it's just like and then Donald Trump uh, Donald Trump just sounds like Alec Baldwin so it's like a very short road you know how uh, how mean do you think those brothers are to each other I think they're extremely mean I think I think they're extremely mean but sentimental you know I, but I feel like Billy is probably the nicest I don't know I don't know dude maybe you know I mean out of out of Stephen and Alec like yeah I guess you know and Daniel Oh, I forgot about. He's like the Harpo of the Baldwin yeah. brothers. He's the he's like the public drunk. I think yeah, Billy's probably nice. like more public than the other public drunks. I feel like Billy would just like he just wants to do coke and get drunk on whiskey and have nobody bother him. You yeah. know, like he doesn't want to like get in an argument. Whereas the the rest of them want to fight. You know, whereas he just wants to like hang out. You know. Oh my god, I want to. I want to. I want a Wahlburger style documentary about oh the Baldwin. Can you imagine? I just want to like uh, yeah like can I pitch an article somewhere about like like do they get together for christmas yeah you know? i get to go hang out with them for a holiday exactly weekend. i want to go have thanksgiving dinner with all the baldwin brothers and right. just like write everything they say yeah yeah 
where like Alec threw a hamburger at Steven's head and called him like a hypocritical he, piece he threw of a shit. Fucking hammer at his head, probably. And, and <laughs> Billy, Billy tried to step in in a very cautious, uh, nice way and was it was like guys, guys, guys. But like Alec took a swing at him and Daniel like came in drunk and was like, "Don't you hit Billy." And like attacked Alex. And like Steven like has invited like Steven Crowther there, yeah. you know? <laughs> and like Steven Crowther is like really dominating the conversation, you know? Um, first question, what's your favorite part of the movie? Uh, yeah, so I mean obviously all the fire stuff is fantastic, but something that I th- I thought I really was tickled by that we haven't t- touched on yet in the show is um so it's it's obviously a trope of films that uh a loser lives on a houseboat. This is like a, a trope throughout many, many films that a loser lives on a houseboat, okay? What I love about Backdraft is it's taking this one step further and that Kurt Russell is, he's like not divorced, but separated from his wife. He's living on a houseboat that is not even in the water. <laughs> it's not <laughs> even done being worked on yet. And it's like such a mess inside. And it's a piece of shit, and at one point... It's not even a houseboat. It's just a fucking boat. (laughs) Right, and he's like, I'm going to sell Dad's boat. And, like, they're kind of... Like, there's sadness about it, and it's like, no one would ever give a shit about this (laughs) boat. This boat boat sucks. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And they even kind of... They try to do it as, like, a reveal. Like, you can obviously see it's not in the water, but they kind of do this, like, crane shot so you can see the expanse of land between the boat and the water. Where it's like kind of supposed to be a joke, but it's like it doesn't really pay off. And I was like, this is so dumb. I love that he and they the the way they have dressed the inside of this boat is very courageous, I will say. Because normally when somebody is like lives in a messy boat, it's like doesn't really look that messy. But like Kurt Russell's boat, it's like uh, alarming. Like he immediately needs someone to intervene in his life, the way his boat looks. Yeah, and he always he's always drinking. Yes, yeah. And I don't understand, like, I've just had three beers tonight. And I will say, I will look probably kind of bloated tomorrow. Right, sure, 100%. Slightly bloated. Yeah. I don't understand why in movies, <laughs> it was, it's never, like, the, the, the reality of what someone looks like who drinks beer on a regular basis is never put on screen. Somebody who's just like pounding beers for like eight hours while they half you, work on their boat. You, you look, don't look like Kurt Russell if you, you do that. You look like a fat piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, you're puffy everywhere. There's yes. nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and it's not even just that you're fat. It's like your body's retaining water, like all this kind of weird yeah. shit, you know? Like, And so like, I, I, I just don't understand how, and it's still the same in movies now where like suddenly like, like Jason Statham is like having a couple beers. Yeah, and like, you're like Ryan yeah, Gosling's okay, sure. an alcoholic in a movie. <laughs> and you're like, no, he no, goes to the gym not. for four hours a day. He's not an alcoholic. Like, he looks great. <laughs> Yet, though, Sean Penn is an actual alcoholic. And the only way that you can tell is that he shakes all the time. <laughs> Physically, he looks skinny. And well, I think it's like if you're one of these like elderly vegans, you can kind of get away with anything. Like, Yeah, that is true. Joaquin can't. Yeah, no, that is true. He's like very quickly reacts to shit. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I always think of like Bill Clinton as my like archetypal, like emaciated old vegan. Like he looks like, like basically dead, but is, you know, just eats some kind of like his personal chef makes him, you know, weird shit that like makes your body do weird shit. 
Right. Um, it just makes you really skinny and weak looking. Uh, Ricky, what was your favorite part of the movie? So my favorite part of the movie hmm? is uh, not a, a scene. It's not a moment. It's an idea. Uh-huh. And that is that in this uh-huh. movie, the fire is sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> And that is central to the plot of the movie there's, in a certain way. There's many moments where they're fighting the fire, and it... <laughs> <laughs> it's like the raptors no. in Jurassic Park. No, they're, they're like, they're, clever girl. They're fighting... Yes, they're fighting the fire, and the fire somehow, like, creeps backwards <laughs> away from them and disappears, and they look around for it, and then someone goes, it's in the walls! <laughs> and it shoots out of an unexpected place. And it's like... I don't know anything about fire. I don't know anything about fighting fire. That might be realistic. But as a movie viewer, it seemed <laughs> ridiculous. It seemed completely insane. And it seemed like the fire would be like, oh, shit, they're over there. Let's go this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is this thing where it's like it's, it's like what we were talking about. Like the movie's about people fighting fire. So the movie feels some kind of narrative compulsion to make the fire into a character. You know? Yes. Which is very strange, but like understandable, I guess, you know? But in Deep Impact, like the asteroid doesn't have motivation, you know? It's just like it's coming and it's going to happen. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right, but the, a- the asteroid in Deep Impact isn't personified. The asteroid in Armage- Armageddon is kind of personified. Is kind of personified, yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Where it does like throw up obstacles for them. Yeah, exactly. Know? Right, yeah. Um, Chris, uh, this movie came out in 1991, 30 years ago. Uh, what is the most 90s part about this movie? So there's a lot, you know, but um, one of the things I thought that really struck me as being a really of this period kind of thing was the the shower scene that we keep talking about. It's like, obviously... Like you keep bringing it up and I keep, you keep deflecting by killing accident. it. You, you won't let me talk about it. But like, um, it's not it's not the fact that there's a long shower scene between these two men. It's not the fact that you get to see their tight buns, which is a very '90s thing. Yeah, men's buns is a very '90s thing. Yeah, for some reason, people had the idea that women loved men's buns during this time period. They and did. Like, did they, or were they just told that they did? You know, Ricky, who can say? They did. I mean, okay, fine. Yeah, it's women, all they could get. They loved men's buns at this time period, yeah. right? They couldn't even see an ab or a pec. They just got the buns. But buns are a thing that generally women like because dicks are ugly. Dicks are extremely ugly. I mean, like, there's no like. Rarely is a woman like, "Ooh, that's a good dick." That's a good dick. Men, I always gay think, men. Gay men are like, "That's a well, yeah, that's a gay, good dick." Yeah, they appreciate like the kind of aesthetic value of yeah, a dick, right? The contours. Yeah. The contours. I always do think it's funny, and it's because it's a it's a power thing. It's not a sexuality thing. But people that send unsolicited dick pics to people, and as they think it's going to be like sexy in some way. Where it's like, do they? I mean, I know it's a power thing. It's not a sexy thing. But to me, I always just think like, your dick is just like a, uh, it's a means to an end. It's not, nobody is going to be like turned on by seeing it, you know? I'll, I'll say that uh, unsolicited, no. But in the midst of a sexual exchange right, via sure. text or whatever app, whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it can be a charged a charged exchange. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you're talking Unsolic- to someone that's been in the same relationship since 2012. So, Unsolic- like, I don't have unsolicited a of- terrible idea. Don't do that. Or even somebody who you're like- a bad person if you're sending someone your privates unsolicited. 
Yeah, no matter your no matter what your gender or sexual identity is, yeah. you know. You're yeah. A, you're you're doing a bad thing. It's a bad thing and nobody should do that. Yeah, exactly. Um but what I thought was the most 90s about the shower scene was in fact just the volume of water that's coming out of the shower head. It's huge. They're supposed to be in the locker room of a firehouse and there's an easily like 5 full feet of water coming out of this like diameter into these people's faces. And like the guy whose face melts off uh, Billy Baldwin's friend, he keeps like opening his mouth and just drinking the water. <laughs> and there's like, because it's taking up the entire frame. It's going above him out of frame, below him out of frame and completely engulfing his entire face. And there, and he's also in that scene. He is, he has just come from a fire where he and Kurt Russell have saved a child or something like right, that. Yes. And he keeps being like, Woo! Saved a life. Yeah. I love this job. And it's kind of like, I feel like a person would be a bit more reflective. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I don't think it would just be like a like this isn't even a good interpretation of what it's like to have an adrenaline rush. Right, 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 right. It's like you would just kind of be like Oh my god, I can't believe it. Like yeah. all that like that little kid. Oh my god. Like, you know, he would have fucking died if I hadn't been there. Yeah, you wouldn't just sort of be like yelling, Woohoo, yeah. Like in like a point break or something, right? right. You're like, like Wow, we did it. Yeah, he's acting like he just won a hula hoop contest <laughs> or something. <laughs> and and Billy Baldwin is the reflective one because he's rescued a mannequin. So I wanna go back to man buns though. Yeah, please do. I mean this is Jean-Claude Van Damme's big thing as he shows his buns in every movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme, a number of men. When buns were showed, it was a big deal in the 90s in the same way that breasts were a big deal for men when a leading actress showed her breasts. It was a thing that someone of the opposite sex who was heterosexual ha- could look forward to, right? Oh, my God, Demi Moore's breasts. Oh, my God, Tom Cruise's butt. I don't think he ever really showed his butt. But that says something so, yeah. that he didn't show his butt, right? But Van Damme's butt, Billy Baldwin's butt, all these different guys mm-hmm. who would show their butt, it would be a big I mean, that deal. was the NYPD Blue thing, right? Yes. Was they showed butts. That they was the big butts. thing. And I think it was a... I think I, gen, I genuinely think it's not talked about enough, but I think, I think women like... Straight women like men's butts. <laughs> I do. You don't think it's talked about enough? I don't. Because because women's butts are talked about all the time. Of course, yeah. I like yeah. big butts and I cannot, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and J-Lo and whoever and, you know, yeah. and breasts are talked about a lot. But men don't really show their butts outside of naked. Like, it doesn't really show in pants that much anymore. Right, right, right. So. Especially these days, big pants are in again. So, yeah. like, men's butts are kind of on the way out. But I think women like butts. <laughs> Ricky, what do you think the most 90s part of this movie was? There is a Baldwin that is not Alec in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, that just stopped, right? (laughs) That just stopped. stopped. Or at least in terms of uh, quantity, it stopped. Right? (laughs) I mean, and quality. Steven still makes, like, Christian movies, I think. Right. And Billy was in uh, Squid and the Whale. and um, No, that's true. He's great in Squid and the Whale. In Too Old to Die Young, the Nicholas Winding Reifen Amazon show. Yeah, okay. I saw that, but I didn't... I kept falling asleep during it. (laughs) Um, If you want to see a camera slowly rotate around a red room for, like, ten minutes, like, that's the number one source. Speaking my language. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) 
Yeah, he was in that. Uh, but it's few and far between for all those guys. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah. Stephen mostly makes appearances on Fox News or OWN or 700 Club. Right. Daniel Mosta makes, mostly makes appearances at the um, Ro- Rose's Tavern on Manhattan <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Made that up. And uh, Billy is probably just, just in the Hamptons. Just hanging out, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that a younger Baldwin is in a in a movie and then and, and a star of there a was major space, movie nonetheless. There was space in the pantheon for several Baldwins at this time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um so the other question that we ask is uh you know, it's been thirty years since this movie came out. Obviously a lot of things have changed since then. What have we grown out of? Well, you know, I wanna say this is my answer, but I, I could be wrong. But a movie like this today I mean, you kept saying like, why isn't it? Why isn't it just about them fighting fires? It in 1990, 1991, a movie like this had to have some kind of complicated courtroom aspect to it. You know, like it had it had to have too much plot, and I think that's one of the things we've grown out of. Of course, their superhero movies also have too much plot. They have things you don't really care about that you're not invested in. But I think that's been paired back to a real kind of like skeleton that the action sequences can hang off of. Whereas in this movie, there's like, you know, like I keep saying, there's a solid hour of stuff about like how you do arson investigations and like looking at light switches and like talking about different kinds of putty. And like, that's just, it's just unnecessary these days. Like people just don't, they don't feel the need to include that in a movie like this anymore. This would be straight to video slash straight to on demand. It's like, I mean this, this kind of stuff, it's like, it's like two seasons of TV. It's not, it would not be a movie anymore. No. Like this is like Chicago fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is like a melodrama that just runs perpetually on CBS. Like this is not a film, you know, if it was a film, it would be reduced back to more of it's like essential emotional elements rather than f- having to have all this other shit going on. I also don't think you would get as many practical effects. I feel like, you Oh would, no, no you know, way. Um, that, that last fire movie, that big fire movie that came out that I can think of that I tweeted at you, the Josh Brolin one, mm-hmm. um, only the brave, uh, actually a, a pretty good movie, like a very, a very well-told story, well-made movie, um, has a lot of CGI fire. Really, so I just yeah. don't think you would get as much well, practical fire effects. And just like I say with horror movies, when I saw army of the dead, I only watched 10 minutes of army of the dead actually. Um, if you were to, at this point in movies, give a large budget to a practical effects-driven horror or action movie, you would blow people's minds. I mean, they couldn't fucking handle it. Nobody's used to s- seeing it. I think it would go so well, right? I Imagine totally if with you, you watched like Army of the Dead where people are getting like their heads ripped open, their fucking necks like ripped in, open. Like uh, you know, the Dawn of the Dead. Exactly. Right. And it looked like that, but it was shot like you can shoot movies now. Right. Right, and it had today's actors in it. And like the amazing kind of makeup effects they can do these days. It's just like un- unbelievable. It just completely looks real, yeah. you know. Yeah. You would never, like it would, it, would, it would blow people's minds because there is something about Army of the Dead. There is something about the CGI of the fire of like Chicago Fire or even some of Only the Brave. That just feels numbing. 
it just it's a cartoon you know what i mean and yeah. it's you're just kind of like well anything can happen in a cartoon so it's not remarkable to see this yes, you know exactly no matter how good the cgi is it's just like okay well all right fine whatever yeah. but you can just there's just something that you can tell when you're seeing something that's real dawn of the dead is still shocking yeah it's still a shocking movie backdraft the fires and the pyrotechnics and the stunts are still shocking. Because you're like, I can't believe these movie stars are in the middle of this room that's yes. on fire. Like, this is crazy. Yes. Like, this movie is actually kind of being promoted on HBO Max right now because the Angelina Jolie movie, I guess she's a firefighter in this movie? But the fire in that movie looks ridiculous. I haven't I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? Yes, it looks like CG shit. It's awful, awful stuff, right? Those yeah. who wish me dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like... It's so much more self-serious somehow than this movie from 30 years ago. Yeah, you know? Backdraft is a remarkably self-serious movie. Oh, yeah. One of the things we didn't mention, which I would just like to very quickly say before I ask you your, your question, which is like, the movie ends with some text on the screen. Oh, I can't believe I haven't brought that up. That's my f- that is actually my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> that is my favorite part and of the, the movie. The text on the screen is just the number of firefighters in America it's without amazing. without it's a, additional oh comments. Oh my god, <laughs> just, it's so it good. It says there are this many firefighters in America and that's the end of the movie. It's basically like it's it's it, it tries to add weight to the film by by saying at the end of the movie there are actual firefighters in, <laughs> no. in the country. It's so it's good. It's more... like, imagine watching a fucking cop movie or a movie about <laughs> fucking wrestlers. And at the end, it's like, it, the movie puts up a title card that says, wow, there are actual wrestlers in the, the world. There are real people that do this, okay? It's like pretty crazy. Like so desperate. The thing that got me too was there's not like a second sentence that's like, and we salute them or something. Yeah. There's just like, there are 1.2 million firefighters in America. Fade to black. <laughs> you know? yeah, like, you, like, it's hard to not, you just see that and you go, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. My town has a bunch. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I know. I know that there are firefighters. I know. A bunch of my friends from high school did were firefighters. Mm-hmm. Like I'm aware. And it's like, or it's like easy math where you're like, wow, 1.2 million. Yeah. I mean, considering how many were in my town and the town that, how many there's towns like there big, are? And like I've been in New York, there's a lot of firehouses. Yeah, that's that's about right. That, that, seems, make, about that right. seems about yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, 1.2 million. Sure. I mean, actually, that's fewer than I would thought, uh, considering the <laughs> amount of counties and, a, and towns and, and the districts. amount of like the the weight it has in the culture. Like, really, yeah. it's 0.3 percent of the population. Like, oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. 1.2 million. Great. Good movie. Thanks, guys. Uh, so, Ricky, that's uh, my favorite part of the what, movie. What did you card. think? What do you think we've grown out of in this movie? I mean, well, we've definitely not grown out of feeling the need to make a movie more uh, based on a true story seeming. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, that, one, that, that backdraft, I would say, was like really ahead of its time by putting that title card up at the end of the right, movie, right? right? Like right. the only way backdraft would get the amount of attention now or even get made now the way that it got made then was if there was some sort of real life story it had to be like an adaptation of a gq article yeah like you know where it's like about these two brothers that were firefighters and one of them died tragically right. so know? every interview they did they could like they could involve the guy and he like, could be oh like, well you know really they're they're the real heroes i mean i'm just i'm just trying to learn from him and reflect right. him on screen you know and the guy and the guy's like yeah uh yeah, he came, you know, Kurt came to my house a couple times. It was, 
said, it was cool. You know, and the <laughs> wife is like, uh, oh, yeah, you want to be a Kurt Russell? I just want to say there's a lot of things going on out there, but, you know, these people are rioters and blue lives. Yeah, shut, I know. Shut, stop, stop, stop. Shut them up. Oh, my God. That would 100% be the thing would be like they would immediately get canceled. <laughs> it would be like, like, oh, they gave an interview where they said, like, fires happen because of blacks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It'd be like the guy who produced uh, Green Book who had actually had like, oh a my bunch God. of like, racist fake Facebook rants or something like that. I don't think they were racist. I think they were like Trump supporting. Yeah, they were Trump supporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this, Uh but, uh, you know, people who support Trump aren't necessarily racist in the way that, that you think they are. And you who support Joe Biden and accuse Trump supporters of being racist are probably just as racist oh my God, in Ricky, the same ways. Please. please, Ricky. Obviously, that's not true. Like, everybody that supports Joe Biden is good and right, and they're doing <laughs> everything correctly. And people that support Donald Trump are monsters AKK that should die members. in global warming. They're you know? Nazis. They're Nazis. They're all Nazis, and they love it. They love it. Drumpf. I'm sorry. I don't even call him Trump. I call him Drumpf. How dare you say it started in a lab? That's the show, dude. We did it. Peace. Like, what an amazing time we had. It's only midnight, though. You don't want to keep going? I 100% want to stop right now. 